And what would make that potluck even better, I think, if we did some face painting, right? <laughs> Just saying. Uh, I hope Justin is hearing that. Uh, but no, it's, it's really super encouraging uh, just to watch this video. Um, for those of you who may not know, um, we partner up with these two families uh, in North Africa uh, to, see, to see churches planted uh, in a very tough, difficult place in the world where there's literally just a handful of known believers. Uh, and so we get to join by being a part of this church. You're a part of the global effort of seeing churches planted in really difficult places. Uh, and so be encouraged. And it, this is going to dovetail really well into our conversation today on the Holy Spirit. And I hope you see it as it, as it kind of comes through in that in a place like North Africa, it's, it's really easy to see that it's nothing that we can do to bring people to God. But it's all of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we can kind of get a little confused maybe in our culture here of thinking that we're doing something. But there you really see it's at the prayers of just praying that the Lord would bring individuals to Christ. Um, and so if you, have, if you would love to hear, I see Ruby's here. She was in North Africa, part of that team. I know Justin and Laurel are kind of in and out of this service. Um, I don't see anyone else here in this service that was on that team for this service, but grab them and, and get an update. Hear what God is doing um, through your prayers, through your generosity of seeing churches planted in North Africa. Uh, it's super, super exciting. Um, so today we conclude our 10-week study on the Holy Spirit. I guess the cat is out of the bag. Next week, you already know, I, first service told me that we're doing Matthew. We're going to begin a study in Matthew after this week. So no surprise, uh, but that's where we'll be going after this week. Um, but this week is our last week on the Holy Spirit. So seven years ago, Emily and I, we moved up uh, here to Madison uh, to work at a Bible camp uh, in the village of McFarland, which is just right, right next door here to Madison. I'm going to kick this water if I'm not careful. And uh, we, we moved up there to work part of this Bible camp, and uh, one of my roles was, was marketing. So what I did early on was I joined the McFarland Chamber of Commerce. Um, you know, to network with the locals. That's what you do. And so after a few months of like attending their monthly coffee networking meetings, I was approached and asked to be an ambassador for McFarland. And I was like, yeah, I'm in. <laughs> Tell me where. I'll show up. I'll be the ambassador. I agreed to that. Uh, but it turns out I wasn't the only ambassador. There were actually five of us. Um, and our role was really simple of just like we were just developing better relationships between local businesses and the, and the citizens of the community. And so we, we got together and we just strategized how can we grow awareness? How can we help businesses grow and, and see um, this kind of interact in our little community? It, it, fun stuff. I, I really loved it. I actually really loved it. Uh, and I love the title, right? Ambassador James. If you haven't been an ambassador in your life, I would recommend it. It's very steroid, like ego boosting to who you are as a person. Um, but honestly, it was through this role that Emily and I, my wife, really began to really just really begin to, to love our little community of McFarland, coming alongside, seeing this mission of our little community grow and flourish. Uh, and I love being a part of that little team, working together with a shared passion. And this morning, as we go to Acts in our text this morning, we're going to see something fairly similar. That you and I have been invited into what I think is the most great, the greatest and most um, important mis- mission in the history of our world. To be Christ's ambassador. 
You see, God has chosen us to be born where we are born, to live where we live. And he's assembled us together. Right now, he's assembled us together to be on this great mission for him. As we read through the story of the Bible is, is really that God does have an enemy. And this enemy has taken into captivity those who are apart from Jesus. Their hearts are hard. Their eyes are closed. Their life is destined towards destruction. But we, and we have this great news to tell. That Jesus Christ conquers sin. We are his ambassadors. We are sent to tell others about Jesus. So what does this have to do with our series on the Holy Spirit? Well, I'm going to say everything. Everything. See, one of the most amazing things is working as an ambassador for McFarland was that I got to operate, I got to work under the power, the banner of the McFarland Chamber of Commerce. It gave me access into relationships and conversations that I ordinarily on myself, me, James, would not have. And similarly, to complete the, our mission to be Christ's witnesses to the ends of the earth, it's only made possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because without this power, we'll never accomplish what God has sent us to do. Let me ask, have you ever been around someone who's just, they just, they have this boldness. They're sharing Christ. They seem to just, they love it. They want to share Christ with those around around them. And maybe maybe you've wondered, like, how do I get that boldness? How can I get to that same degree of what I see them doing? Our big idea this morning is this, that we are to live by the Spirit's power as gospel witnesses that all the world may know Jesus. That we are to live by the Spirit's power as gospel witnesses that all the world may know Jesus. So let's pray right now and invite God as our help into this moment. God, we do, we just, we call time out, we ask for your help. Lord, we ask that you'd open our hearts to your word and your word to our hearts. It's your powerful name we pray, Jesus. Amen. You have a Bible. We're in the book of Acts. If you don't have one, there's some Bibles in the back of the room. I encourage you to grab one. But we're in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. And as you turn there, I want to set the stage, and many of you already know this, but I want to set it anyways. Luke is the author. Luke is the author of Acts, but he's also the author of the Gospel of Luke. And while the Bible, our Bibles separate those two books with the Gospel of John, what I want you to know is that Luke is really the prequel to the book of Acts. Luke is a physician. He's affluent. He's educated. He's not an eyewitness to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, but he's an investigative reporter often traveling with the Apostle Paul. And many believe that Luke was put to death for his faith in Jesus. I say this because I want you to get, I want you to know that Luke is a real person recording real history. Because Christianity is about history. It's not about a philosophy. It's not about a holy location. It's about a person, and his name is Jesus. He's the living, reigning, resurrected King of Kings, Jesus. And that is what we're after today, to see from the book of Luke to the book of Acts, to see the continuing power at work in the life of Jesus and how it continues in Acts through God's people as gospel witnesses in our world. 
So in Acts 1, Jesus has already died and been resurrected from the dead. And in verse 6, he's called his disciples together. It says this in verse 6, So when they had come together, they, the disciples, asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, Jesus, what's your next move? Right? We've been with you for some time. We kind of have this expectation that there's going to be this restoration of Israel. When are you going to conquer the Romans? Not bad questions. Like, what's your next move, Jesus? Check out Jesus' response in verse 7. Jesus, he said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Rather than directly answering their question, he gives a commission. Right? He gives them a commission that has really nothing to do with triumphing over the Romans, but a commission to spread the gospel across the globe. And I chuckle every time as I read verse 9. And when Jesus had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. I mean, like years of following Jesus on dusty roads, sleeping in boats, eating who knows what, hoping that this Messiah is going to restore Israel, right? Jesus simply vanishes like a balloon, like a kid releasing a balloon up in the air, right? He's gone. And if I put myself in these disciples' sandals, right, I got to imagine myself like, what happened, (laughs) right? What happened, Honestly, if we keep thinking, like, this has got to be a strange scene. Jesus lays out this intense commission, this assignment for them to do, and then hardly much of an explanation, right? He just vanishes. I got to imagine that as, like, Jesus is, like, ascending into the air. If if this is me, I'm, as a disciple, I'm like, hey, Jesus, wait, what? What do you want us to do? Like, do you mean the, like, the whole world? Do you know, like, how big the whole world? And, like, Jesus is, like, ascending 100 feet up in the air, right, as a hot air balloon. He's like, yeah, I know how big the world is. Yeah, I see it from up here. But you know what? Despite how I may have felt in that moment, if I was right there, doubt, fear, uncertainty, This is where Christianity began. And 2,000 years later, here we are sitting in this room in Madison. We're on a globe with billions of Christ followers, all stemming from 12 fishermen, carpenters, and tax collectors. So you never had a more incredible assignment been given to a less qualified group of people. And to me, that most clearly reveals what Jesus says in verse 8. That our power for gospel witness comes from the Holy Spirit, not us. Let's look at verse 8 again. We're going to camp out on this verse. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. What Jesus does here is is really nice. If you're an aspiring um, preacher, Jesus gives you your, your outline right here. It's the power, it's the purpose, and it's the plan. The power, the purpose, 
and the plan. We're going to spend a lot of time looking at the power as we're looking, obviously, at the person of the Holy Spirit. So verse 8, the very beginning of it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So Jesus tells the disciples, you will receive what? Power. Now, there was a Swedish chemist in in the 1800s, and he discovered a very powerful substance. And so he had to call it something, right? Because he discovered it. So he called a friend who was a Greek scholar, and he asked, what's the Greek word for power? You know what? It's the same word that we have here. I asked Joe uh, German, because he's a Greek scholar, uh, budding Greek scholar, how to say this word. It's dunamis, I think. Uh, and, and what is that? What is that word? What is the meaning of that word? Well, it's dynamite. It's dynamite. Meaning this, that when the Holy Spirit shows up, boom! Stuff happens. I made sure all the kids were gone. No. <laughs> you, don't ha- you don't have to ask your buddy, like, hey, hey, was that dynamite over there? Hey, I don't know. I mean, I, it could have. I don't, I don't, you know, like, when dynamite happens, when there's an explosion, you know it, right? Dynamite makes an incredible explosion. And that's the Christian life. It's about that kind of power, about that supernatural, God-given power. But we need to be careful with this because apart from Jesus, we could misunderstand this power. We could misuse this power. So that's why in Acts, as we're in Acts, we have to go back to Luke. We have to go back to the prequel and ask not how do we use the power of the Holy Spirit, but how did Jesus use the power of the Holy Spirit? And honestly, this can be a really fascinating study for you this week to see the correlation between Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Here's some of my notes, that Jesus was led by the Spirit, that he was empowered by the Spirit, he was filled with the Spirit, he suffered by the power of the Holy Spirit, he persevered by the power of the Spirit, he loved by the power of the Spirit, he engaged in spiritual conflicts by the power of the Holy Spirit, he prayed by the power of the Holy Spirit, he trained leaders by the power of the Holy Spirit, he honored and obeyed his mother and father when he was a boy by the power of the Holy Spirit, and ultimately Jesus died filled and led by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now some of you, most of you, probably have heard this expression that you should live a spirit-filled life, right? Hey, you need to live a spirit-filled life. Well, what, what is that? Who do I look to? You look to Jesus. But anytime someone says, well, that's a spirit-filled person, they got the wrong person. Because as sinners, we, we cannot perfectly and continually be full of the Holy Spirit as a spirit-filled Uh, to live the spiritual life. We grieve, we quench, we resist the Holy Spirit at times. But Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit, continually and perfectly. And I know some of you are probably thinking, well, that's easy for Jesus to do, right? Because he's God. That's easy for him to do. He's God. Well, how many of you watch, you know, the old Superman episodes, and you're like, I know it's not Clark Kent. It looks like Clark Kent, but underneath, who is it? He's Superman. He's got the S on his chest, right? And I think some of us carry that perspective of Jesus. He looks like a humble peasant carpenter, but underneath he's really God. So when he's tempted, he's not really tempted. When he's hurting, he's not really hurting. When he's suffering, he's not really suffering. You may be thinking, like, I'm not God, so I have little expectation for any this explosive power in my life. It's like, oh, look, Jesus is water skiing without a boat. Kind of expect that, right? He's God. Did Jesus cheat? No. 
While on earth he remained fully God, yet fully human. He did not cheat. When it says in Luke 2 that he grew in wisdom, stature, and favor with men and God, it means that he actually had to memorize Scripture as we have to memorize Scripture. He couldn't say, oh, I know it because I wrote it. It means that as Jesus was teaching, he had to learn how to use his abilities like we have to learn to use our abilities. It means that when he was tempted, he did not lean into his divinity to cheat, but he lived out of his humanity. And scripture says he was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Which certainly makes us look at the life of Jesus and go, that is an amazing life. He said no to sin. He said yes to God. He never stole anything. He was never inappropriate with a woman. He was always generous. He was always told the truth. He suffered nobly. But I want you to hear this. Jesus doesn't want you just to admire his life. He wants you to experience his life through the power of the third member of the Trinity, God, the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus shows us what it's like to live a perfect, spirit-filled, spirit-empowered, spirit-led life. We cannot understand the power of the Holy Spirit apart from the life of Jesus There's no example of what it means to live a spirit-empowered life unless we look at the life of Jesus. And elsewhere in the New Testament, we read that Jesus was raised from dead by what? The power of the Holy Spirit. In the same verses, it goes on to say, and that same power that raised Christ from the dead lives where? Lives in you, the Christ follower. So we don't admire, we just don't admire Jesus' life. We experience Jesus' life through the Spirit. So do we look at Jesus and, and say, is he cheating? No, we don't say that. This is why I want us to be able to see that it's God humbling himself, Jesus humbling himself through the power of the Holy Spirit and sending us his Spirit so that we can live by Jesus' power. And as we see in Luke, Jesus humbling himself obediently, so too the disciples in our passage do the very same thing. Look back up to verse 4. Jesus, um, in verse 4, it says, And while um, they were staying with him, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to what? Wait for the promise of the Father. Which we know when we read Luke is, is the promise of the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus is instructing his disciples, don't do ministry yet. You need to wait. You need power. The Holy Spirit is coming to cause you to be like me. And certainly in a room like this, there are probably ones on the Enneagram. And I'm sure some of you who are that would be like, wait, what? We got things to do. We got to get organized, do conferences, write books. We have to do, we have a lot of stuff to get done. Yet Jesus is showing his disciples that this is not something they can do for him, but it's something that he will do through them. And certainly this this can bring up to some of us maybe that question that many debate uh, very much smarter than I over the question, was the Holy Spirit present? Was he at work in the lives of the disciples before Pentecost? Maybe in a lesser way or maybe not at all. Quite frankly, I don't know. But what I do know, what I do see in this narrative is that Jesus tells them to wait for something new of the Spirit. 
which Luke describes at the end of the Gospel of Luke, Luke describes it as being clothed with power from on high. To be clothed with power from on high. See, this is the transforming truth I want all of us to gain, to lean into. As we look at Jesus, if we look at the disciples, that they humbled themselves, obediently submitting their lives to God. And we see it. Look at verse 12. They returned. The disciples returned to Jerusalem from the mount, from that hill. And what did they do? In verse 14, it tells us, And all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. They waited. They obediently went and waited and they prayed. And it's not like me waiting nervously in the doctor's office like, oh, I wonder what's new in the Butterflies and Bees magazine because I I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm nervous and I'm waiting. I'm anxious. These guys were humbling themselves in prayer and trusting their lives to Jesus. For they understood that the mission given by Jesus was not something they could do for him but it was only something Jesus would do through them by the explosive power of the Spirit. So we as Christ followers, we must walk in the same obedience, right? Guarding our lives for those blind spots, fully yielding every area of our life under God's word. For it's when we yield ourselves to God that we are clothed. This act says we are clothed with power from on high, the Holy Spirit. So believer here in this room, I want you to read Jesus' promise in verse 8 as a direct statement to you. It's but you inserting your name, but you, James, will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And we're going to do this together. First service stunk. I think you can do better. We're going to read this together inserting your name into this statement because it's true if you're a Christ follower. Ready? One, two, three. But Guys, that was better than three. I had them do it three times in first service. The first time, I think one person did it. Second time, maybe you know, five. Maybe it's more coffee in our veins. I don't know. You guys nailed it. Good job. But this power, right, what's the purpose of it? What's the purpose of it? So we have the power, but what's the purpose? It's not just so that you and I can be better people. It's not modified self-help. It's not that you can showcase how great you are to everybody. Because if you think that way, you're just trying to manipulate the Holy Spirit as if you have some sort of power over it. But you're not Aladdin, right? The power of the Holy Spirit was given for a specific purpose. And that purpose is that we would be his witness. This is exclusively for the mission of Jesus. Look at verse 8. It's right there. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness. The Holy Spirit comes so that we would be his witness to complete the mission of Jesus. And the word witness, we often use it in, in, in a courtroom, right? Meaning that you testify about what you had seen, And this is important. A witness job is really not to do anything, right? They're not to do anything other than to tell people what had already been done. To tell people what's already been done. And that's our job. To be a witness. To tell other people what Jesus has already done. Which means if we are a witness, we first, one, we need to believe the message. We need to believe that it's true. And then second, we authenticate that message by our life. 
that our lives must reflect the message that we're telling. 39 times in Acts, Luke says, and they were witnesses, and they were witnesses, and they were witnesses. Witness can also be the same word for martyr, which is to trade their life. It's one who says, I'm going to talk about Jesus even if I die because I know I'm going to meet who I'm going to meet on the other side and I no longer fear death. And the apostles did this. Read Acts, right? Most of them lost their lives brutally because they were witnesses. So applying this to our life, applying this to our life, there must be things that I do if I believe the message, right? If I believe the message, there must be things I do. But there also must be things that I don't do if Jesus is Lord. There are places I go because Jesus is Lord, and there's places I don't go because Jesus is Lord. There's, there's ways I spend my money because Jesus is Lord, and there's ways I don't spend my money because Jesus is Lord. There's ways I think or fantasize because Jesus is Lord, and there's ways that I don't think or fantasize because Jesus is Lord. You see, friends, this is the explosive power of the Spirit at work inside of us, setting us up as witnesses in our lives to be lived out because Jesus is Lord. Yet, yet, so often in my heart, in my life, I want to resist this power of the Spirit at work. I want to do things my way. I want to to do things on my terms. I want to resist this working of the Spirit. When I was in Chicago at Moody a few years back, one of my good friends would regularly, he would hit the streets and tell people about Jesus. And I did my best every Friday and Saturday night just to be like on the opposite side of campus as this guy. Because I knew if he found me, he was going to invite me to come with him. And being a good Bible student, right, how do you say no to that? <laughs> you see, this, this is me resisting the Spirit unyielding. I want to do my thing. I want to do things on my way. I want to do my Friday night the way I want to do it, right? My life isn't matching the message. How could I say that Jesus is Lord of my life if I avoid my friend out of fear of having to share Jesus with others? John 14, 26 says this, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. That is good news. This is the power of the Spirit. Because I need this. I needed this in Chicago. I need this every moment, every day of my life. I need to be reminded over and over and over and over again that Jesus is better. That Jesus is my, my goal. That he is my greatest treasure. I need the Spirit's power to remind me of this all the time. I needed him to remind me as I walked up here this morning. My desire is that I'm approved, that I'm liked by you. That's what I want. That's my desire. But I need the Spirit to remind me that Jesus is what I need. My approval is in him. That Jesus validates me. That Jesus is my all. You see, this is how the Holy Spirit explosively works in our lives, enabling us to be gospel witnesses. So we have the power, yielding ourselves to God. The power of the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. Second, the purpose, so that we would be his witness. And now the plan, the end of verse 8. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Jesus' mission is for all 
nations. In that moment, Peter couldn't grab a globe, right? Because there is no globe at that time. Most of these guys had probably never traveled more than 40 or 50 miles from their home. But this is the plan. This is the plan to be Jesus' witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. What I think it means is to start locally, move regionally, go nationally, and serve globally. And think about it. As Jesus is saying this in this time in history to these disciples, they're in Jerusalem. And think about where we would be in relation to them, right? We're at the far ends of the earth. Isn't that the beauty of the gospel, the power of the gospel, saving people across history, across time, as men and women faithfully declared the news of Jesus? Here's what I want to say. Mission doesn't necessarily start across the world. Mission starts across the street. Mission starts across the street. That is why our city groups are geographically focused for the sake of witness, to to strategically partner together to use our collective spiritual gifts that we've been chatting about for the sake of the gospel. This is why we end our services often with those parting words, you are sent. This is why our vision as a church is to plant churches in neighborhoods and nations This is why as a church, we give significant portions of our budget every year to support the work of church planning and wanting to increase it every year, to generously give to that. This is why we're sending out so many key leaders this coming year to plant Eastside Church. This is why we embrace gospel goodbyes, saying goodbye because I want to send you to be a part of kingdom advancement. This is why we prioritize serving our city and city groups each month. We make it a priority in our calendar. But let's let's round the basis. Let's come directly into our lives. Because when I read the book of Acts, every time God's word fills and empowers the disciples, what happens is that they proclaim God's word. Every time the Spirit fills the disciples, they proclaim God's word. Acts 2.4, the Holy Spirit fills the apostles and they begin to declare God's praises. Acts 4.8, Peter is filled with the Spirit and he preaches to the rulers that Jesus is their only hope. Acts 4.31, the disciples are filled with the Spirit and they speak the word of God boldly in the face of severe persecution. Acts 9.20, Paul is filled with the Spirit and he immediately begins to preach in the synagogues. And I could keep going. Filling of the spirit of the heart produces words of God out of your mouth. Filling of the spirit in your heart produces words of God, word of God out of your mouth. I just got to ask myself over and over this week, is that true of me? Is that true of you? Are we in that same passion proclaiming God's word to our neighbors? Am, am I doing that to my neighbors? Am I doing that to my coworkers, to my family? And maybe our hearts have a list of excuses of, I don't have what it takes, or it's, it's not my gift, or I, I'd rather witness it with my life, not my words, or I, I don't have time, or talking to other people, just it's, it's weird, it seems weird. Maybe it's another excuse. But once all those excuses have been cleared away, I think the only question really is, do you really want to bring other people to Jesus? 
do you really want to bring other people to Jesus? And I would say for most of us, it's not a technique problem, but a belief problem. Spurgeon says this, if Jesus is precious to you, you will not be able to keep your good news to yourself. You'll be whispering it into your child's ear. You'll be telling it to your husband. You'll be earnestly imparting it to your friend. Every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a total silent tongue about him. If you really know Christ, you are like the beggar who has discovered an endless supply of food. You must go tell the hungry crowd that you have found Jesus and you are anxious that they should find him too. My point this morning is not to heap condemnation on any of us this morning. Because as I said, this, this has been a challenging week for me to reflect in my own life. I want to encourage you to, to come with me on a, on a journey of just of living this simple statement out. To live everyday life with gospel intentionality. Of living everyday life with gospel intentionality. What do I mean by that? Well, a few things. Every, every Sunday, Emily and I are in a rhythm. We sit down. We talk about our week. We talk about what needs to happen. And that's good. But why don't we first pray and ask God to direct how it is that the Spirit wants us to set our priorities? Why do I come first with what I need to get done? I want to change that with gospel intentionality. What if instead of, um, you know, I once heard a preacher say, like, in America, we, we live in boxes. <laughs> of, we, we live in a house, like a big box. We get in a car, a little bit smaller box. We drive to our office, which is a little bit bigger box. We sit in front of a computer, which is another box. Then we get back into our car. We go back home, which is another box, and, we, and, we, and, we, and that's it. Like, that's our day, sitting in these boxes. But what if instead of going right into your garage, shutting the garage door, going in the back way. We make that commitment. We're going to keep our garage door open. Instead of hanging in the backyard, we're going to hang in the front yard. We're going to position ourselves to be in a position to build relationships as neighbors walk by with their dogs or as neighbors come home from work. Positioning our lives to have gospel intentionality. For several years, Emily and I lived uh, downtown, McFarland. It's a thing. And across the street from our apartment was a really small antique shop. They've since closed. And, and I'm not a collector. I have no, no idea about antiques. But every day when I would get home, if the shop was open and they didn't keep regular hours, you never knew. If the shop was open, I would just go in. And I would just strike up a conversation. Over time, building a relationship with this store owner. And he's not a Christian. But over the course of, of years... As I got to know him, I got to know his wife. And his wife is a Christian, a dear saint. And she's been praying for decades for her husband's salvation. And I've been able to share pieces of my faith with him over the years. And what's so sweet is Emily and I, we've sat with this lady praying for her husband's salvation. And this is a simple story, and I don't think it's finished yet. I think God's going to do something. But I think it captures God's calling on our lives as Christ followers. Yielding our time, yielding our priorities to the leading of the Spirit, living every day with gospel intentionality. And as I look across this room 
your faces. I'm encouraged because so many of you are doing that and doing it really well. I remember a, a time just a short time ago where a young gal here in our church um, was in the midst of purchasing a vehicle. And she came and just asked for prayer of what vehicle would be best to purchase. Not necessarily on what would be best for her, but what would be best in serving the, the needs of the church, the needs of her community. I just met with a couple who recently expressed that they, they moved to a new space. Not for the sake of a bigger garage or a bigger, bigger living room, but because they wanted a larger dining room to have a bigger table so they can invite friends, they can invite non-believers into their home to make meals and share Christ's love with them. See, that's the power of the Spirit at work. Ordinary, we're ordinary men and women yielding our lives, not to our wants or desires, but to the desire of God, which is that all people, every nation may know Christ. And let me say this, I think we've talked about it in the past in this series, that we're not called to save anyone. We're not called to save anyone. That's only something God can do. We're his witness. Our calling is simply to be an ambassador, a witness of this incredible message to declare it with our mouths and our lives. So how about this? Let's begin every day just by praying for the Spirit's explosive power for us to live in gospel intentionality? What if that's the first thing, our first prayer every day? As we finish our time this morning, the question I think that, at least in my heart, remains was, was how long do we do this? Jesus, how long do we do this? You know, that's exactly what the disciples asked originally in our text in verse uh, in 6 there. And Jesus, what does he say? He says, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You don't need to know. See, Jesus wants us to be less concerned with his coming and more concerned with our going. And I long for the day when Jesus returns so that we don't have uh, any more elections, we don't have any more wars, we don't have any more sickness. It's just Jesus and us as his God fathers together forever. But I'm also excited that there does remain a mission to be completed, that there are people to be reached, that there are churches to be planted. There are nations to be served. That means that we're not yet finished all the things that Jesus has appointed us to do. So we need a marathoner's mentality. We, don't, we, we can't just sign up and then give up. The Holy Spirit wants to empower us to persevere like Jesus persevered all the way to the cross. It's about continuing forward, as, as Luke to Acts, continuing forward the mission of, of Jesus, not just giving but giving for the rest of our lives. Not just serving, but serving for the rest of our lives. Not just praying, but praying for the rest of our lives. For we don't know when Jesus will come, but may we live by the Spirit's power as a gospel witness that all the world may know him. Let's pray. Let's pray and ask for God's help that by his Spirit, this would be true of us as a church. Father, we do come before you humbly, recognizing that we have no ability to complete the work that you began in your life. Lord, I ask for each one of us, and it looks probably different for all of us, of what does it look like to yield every part of our life obediently under your word, leaving no room unchecked, Lord. May we submit to you, 
Lord, by your grace and mercy, Lord, you fill us with your spirit that we may faithfully and boldly declare the testimony, the good news, the message that you have given us, that you have saved us from our sins. Lord, we pray for your help. Holy Spirit, remind us of what is true as we leave here this morning. In your name we pray, amen.